Skater skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, happy holidays, everyone. It is December, and if you are a long-term fan of the podcast, you know that means that you normally wouldn't hear me say those words, but... For the first time in our five-year history, we are not taking a winter break this year, so new December episodes are here, and this one is a super fun one, but you know, more on that in a second. So Thanksgiving may be over, but we're always thankful for our audience. This was a big and busy year for us. Uh, This last year, we put up over 30 new t-shirt designs that are jungle-inspired into our merchandise from the Jungle Cruise Shop. We did our Kickstarter for our card game, Jungle Rummy, uh, which was very successful, and we're at nearly 1,500 likes for our Facebook group, where Skipperette Jen has been curating amazing Jungle Cruise photos and content all this year. It's been our biggest year, and we're looking to get even bigger next year, so we're just going to ask you to feel free to share uh, us, our podcast, with your Disney-loving friends and family. We need to keep growing, and I have some really exciting opportunities to grow the podcasts that are just around the corner, but we need to make sure that people know about us. So on to this episode. Now, back in October at the latest uh, Skipper stand-up show, I had the pleasure of watching the stand-up of Skipper Alex Elkin. Getting to meet him was also a pleasure, and Alex is one class guy. Now, he is making his living as a comedian, which, frankly, is hard as balls. Um, He's brought his stories of working at Disneyland to the show, as well as getting into some discussion about comedy in the stand-up scene. We get to nerd out a bit about comedy, uh, but this one is a standalone episode, uh, a little holiday present there. I really hope Alex will join us again soon for a follow-up chat. So here we go, Season 5, Episode 11, as we sit down with Skipper Alex Elkin in an episode we like to call an upstanding skipper. Kungaloosh, everyone. start and when did you like what was your starting year and ending year um that was there from 98 to 2000 okay yeah so you're gonna have a lot of overlap with people i mean you know jesse banda and all those guys so oh yeah mm-hmm. so yeah no so like i i totally appreciate uh the patience of putting this together and also uh the thanksgiving holiday um and most importantly skipper alex elkin congratulations on the new one the new little one Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. Uh, she's just a little precious angel. You know, a lot of babies come out and they have to get cute, but she came out cute. Oh, well, God, I've done some baby photography and I saw pictures and that is one adorable kid. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> after meeting you, I'm not sure whose it is. But, I know. Uh, when I find the guy, I'll tell you. Um, but No, no, no. That's a gorgeous kid. There's no question about that at all. Um, so let's just chat. We'll, we'll kind of roll. Uh, just talk about your your history with Disney. Um, so, what brought you to work for Disney and Disneyland? That's always a good start. Well, uh, it was always a, a dream of mine. My father worked at Disneyland, and uh, I spent uh, summers, days there, you know, for months. And 
you know, tooling around the park as a child, I, I can, I considered it home. You know, a lot of people do because they spend so much time there. I, I really did. And so it was always a dream of mine. My father was a, um, he was a silhouette artist, uh, first at New Orleans and then he uh, moved on to main street oh, that's great. and was, yeah, was trained by, um, uh, I can't remember his last name, but a gentleman named Harry who was just a legendary, uh, <clears throat> silhouette artist and trained him personally and, mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, my father moved on to attractions, and uh, that's where I fell in love with it. And, and he worked on submarines and you know magic journeys, and then Captain EO opened up and all that good stuff. And so it just instilled in me this desire to want to work there. And so when I was old enough, uh, first place I applied to was Disneyland, and uh, I got rejected. <laughs> and it was it was it was heartbreaking. It really yeah. was. I mean, you know, it 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 just dashed these dreams. It took six months to wait to reapply was forever. You yeah. know, well, and, all, all the good uh, people get shot down first. That's you know, that's part of the program. Uh, you know, it's interesting on the silhouette side of things. It's a job people don't think about at Disney, and uh, you know that there's the people who do this because you know everyone knows that it was there. Uh, I just don't see that there's a big market for you know. I don't think that there's a silhouette cutter podcast to be had out there. Uh, I don't think there's that much interest, but no, that's really cool, man. That's, that's, uh, that's actually a really amazing talent to have, uh, because yeah, it's not easy. No, no, it, it certainly isn't. And, uh, he was, he was very good at, it. he actually ended up, uh, going on to make a living doing silhouettes at, at state fairs and things like yeah. that. So if it, if it weren't for his training at Disney, he would have, uh, he wouldn't have been the artist that he was. But, um, <clears throat> yeah. So when, uh, I applied and I was shot down. And then the second time, boy, I, I just gave it my all. And, uh, you know, when, when it came to the group interview, I was the first one to speak. And I always, you know, I had my answers prepared. And, and it was my dream to be a Jungle Cruise skipper. That's all I wanted to do. And uh, when I got hired in, I was hired in an attraction, which was fantastic. But mm-hmm. I was uh, scheduled to be on Pirates. And, you know, there was... Um, I was I was upset, but I you know I wasn't. I was glad to be part of the team. I was so excited to be part of it, but all I wanted was jungle. Yeah, and I remember uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be bothering bothering management, going up and you know asking them any chance I could, you know, if there was an opening for a training on jungle, and nothing opened up. And then one day, pirates went one hundred and one, and it was bad. Uh, the boats were backed up all the way up the waterfall, and we were literally having to lift you know guests out of the boat and you know bring them up through the the West Side Diner area and all that stuff. And <clears throat> I remember I'm handing a, a six-year-old crying girl to Lisa Chavez. Yeah. <laughs> she, she saw she saw my dedication, and I looked at her, and I said, can I get trained on Jungle now? And the very next week, I saw it on my schedule, and I couldn't have been more thrilled. And that was uh, just, I think, March of 99, probably. Yeah. So what was, what was Working Pirates like? We haven't talked to a lot of people who've... Uh... Who've worked there? We've talked to someone who was conceived in the you know, on the ride, but that's a totally different oh, on, on the mylar table. On the mylar table, <laughs> uh, someone who you who you may even know, and uh, that that was an episode a different. One. We'll talk about that offline, but uh, uh, yeah, no, no. What what was it like working there? Uh, Pirates was was incredible. You know, so, there was so much history. Uh, when I hired in in ninety eight, they hadn't made all the big changes yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know they were they were getting they were starting to try and go politically correct and you know and having the females not get chased around and this and that but it was still the original pirates they still had the you know the the live skulls in there they really had you know the old timey <clears throat> storm scene and 
and all that stuff. And it was it was so cool to be part of that kind of history, you know, mm-hmm. to to look at something that Walt touched, and to be a part of it. And I I really really enjoyed it. My trainer was the uh, well the legendary Debbie French, mm-hmm. um, and she uh, she was the trainer for for pirates. And I spent uh, a lot of months there, really enjoying um, you know the backstage there. I remember on our training day. The animatronics were so lifelike. We popped out onto the scene where they're auctioning off the wenches, mm-hmm. and I turned around, closed the door, and I backed up, and I bumped into the, the heavy set lady, and she looked so realistic, even up close. It was my natural response to say, "Oh, excuse me." <laughs> and you know, I looked again, and I realized who, you know what I was doing, and it's just incredible to see it up close and to be you know on that side of the magic. Yeah, I you know I've always I, I love. Pirates. I actually, um, right when they were doing the land locking, that was supposed to be my second attraction. And I actually got the costume, and then they decided that they were going to split uh, West Side into New Orleans Critter and Adventure Frontier. And I didn't end up getting trained over there. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really enjoyed my walkthroughs there. The, the one thing I still to this day think about Pirates, every time I ride, you know the – the three guys with the musical instruments as you're coming into the town and uh, one yeah. guy's got an accordion. The middle guy looks like uh, TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, Frank Conniff. Yes, it, yes. Every time I see that, I think it's Frank. I mean, it just it looks so much like him. You know, it's funny that you mentioned those guys. My uh, my father and his two brothers, uh, they were almost – I almost thought as a kid that they were the models for those characters mm-hmm. because – they look exactly like my father, my uncle, and my other uncle, and uh, I always see that when I pass by them. But TV's Frank—that's a new one. I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna see that now. Yeah, no, no, Frank. Well, and now we've got the Mystery Science Theater 3000 reboot is uh, on Kickstarter and in progress, which is super exciting. Yeah, I heard it got funded. Yeah, good yeah. for Joel. And you know what? I'm a Joel purist. I uh, I don't think anybody. I don't. I, I, while Mike was good, and I know he was a writer, and I know he's got funny lines. There's something about that dry delivery of Joel that just made the show. Yeah, and I think it was the, an era of what it came out of. Uh, you guess you know Joel was in prop comedy and really had you know that feel. But yeah, no, it's I don't know. It's like comparing you know Sinatra and Dean Martin. You know, everyone's going to have their favorite, right. but they're both just as valid. You know that from comedy. Everyone's got their own gig. You know, the only thing that they're into. Um, yes. So, what else about I mean, anything else about pirates that was interesting before we move on to the uh, the grand adventure in the jungle? Uh, just it was just an interesting time. I I don't I mean I had I'm sure I can tell you stories of you know what uh, you know, the shenanigans that we do on on pirates and you mm-hmm. know grad nights and things like that. But um, no, I mean it was. It wasn't jungle. It wasn't jungle. Jungle was a whole different, uh, a different world. Yeah. So, what was um, your when you were when you were going to the park as a as an AP as a guest and you know getting signed in by your dad, whatever it was? Um, what was it about jungle that you remember the most? Like, was there a particular thing that sticks out in your mind that you know this was the little nugget that got stuck in your brain that made you made you love it so much? Well. I always wanted to be a comedian from uh, as far back as I can remember. And I loved the fact that you get to perform in front of literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of people every single day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it um, it was appealing to me to be the star, to be, you know, not just uh, part of the show, putting candy in bags for people, not, not to... Not to uh, you know the, 
Those damn candy baggers. Those candy baggers are the the laziest job in the park. Those guys, I can't believe (laughs) that they even are employed bagging candy. Well, that's a bit of like their job, but yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're a dime a dozen. They're not a chuckle cruise skipper, you know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they can't drive a boat and and uh, and talk at the same time. I don't know. It just seemed like there was so much freedom, and there was. Uh, just something really appealing, something adventurous about it that set itself apart from any other attraction. Yeah. So, how old were you when, by the time you got you got hired? You were in your twenties. I hired in at eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. And yeah, and uh, and I left it uh, just before I turned twenty-one. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your time at Jungle because uh, from from what I've heard from a few of the people who worked around you or the legend of it, you uh, you definitely made an impression in the the that window you were there. Uh, tell me about your training. Tell me about who you were trained with and, uh, and what it was like when you finally got to put on the, you know, the bullet jacket and step onto the dock. Uh, well, training was a blast. I was trained by Jacob mm-hmm. and, uh, Jacob Caputo. I remember, I'm sorry, Jacob Caputo. Yeah. Jacob Caputo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> it, it was funny. The person I trained with, whom I, I can't remember, we were just night and day. Uh, they, I think they've been there longer, and they didn't want anything to do with Jungle. They didn't want to talk in front of people. They didn't know how to do anything on a microphone. They didn't know, you know, the script. They didn't want to do it. And all I wanted to do was get on there, and and uh, you know, so I was so energetic and really excited. And training was was just a blast. You know, Jacob, who who took his job very seriously, and and uh, um, just really intuitive, knew exactly. Uh, what needed to be taught, knew how to teach it, and, and uh, just commanded a respect that when, you know, you wanted to perform for him, and so I, I did really well. And ironically, of all the things that I, I didn't pick up very well, it was the, the jokes or the script. Um, <laughs> I just had trouble, uh, you know, memorizing these jokes. I, you know, I, it's not that I thought they were beneath me. I just, it's not where my mind usually went. So yeah. that was probably my biggest struggle, but... Uh, I loved I loved learning all about it and how the the track worked and and um, and the training was just uh, it was just a lot yeah. of fun. just probably one of three of the best days of my life. Yeah. Now, now, Jake, I don't know. Interesting note about Jacob. He actually has kind of a neat trivia attached to him. He was the last male cast member to know both Storybook and Jungle. Oh, right. He was part of a uh, uh, narration, yes, yep. with Bruce Kimbrell. Yep. yep. <clears throat> yeah, he knew both of them, and that uh, before they landlocked, he was the last person to know both. So, hmm. yeah, great guy. Oh, so, um, so tell me. I mean, you know, obviously, I know what it's like to nerd out about something and then finally get a chance to do it. Um, you know, during that training process, was there anything that stuck out to you, or a joke you just couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite uh, figure out, or one that just struck you really well? I mean, do you remember it that clearly? A particular joke, or just something about the training. Um, just something about the training that really sticks out to you. Uh, gosh, yeah. yeah. I just I talk to people I, all the time, and they're always like, "Yeah, there was this one thing I couldn't figure out, or this one thing I thought was so funny I couldn't get over it." Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I I think what I was when I what I liked the most was the costume. Actually, it was shortly after they. You know, changed over to kind of the uh, um, Indiana Jones type, you know, coats and and mm-hmm. jackets and outfit, the khakis and stuff. And I, I don't know, just putting it on, I felt important. 
<laughs> you know, it was different from my Pirates of the Caribbean getup because, you know, it didn't have stripes on it and it wasn't, you know, oddly colored and, mm-hmm. you know, poorly fitting. You know, these were, I, look, I felt cool. I felt, uh, uh, you know, I felt like a, a real important person. So, um, you know, we, we also, I mean, obviously, and we'll get into this uh, as the, the, the interview goes on, um, you know, we kind of know where your trajectory has taken you. Let, let's leave that as a mystery right now. Um, you know, but did did you have, um, had you cultivated a bit of a, a comic sense and timing before you were at the jungle? And do, do you feel, or do you yeah. feel like it was born there or that it just got polished there? Well, you know what? I've, I've always, I've always been funny. You know, when I was four years old, I stood in front of, uh, the congregation at, at Friday night services and took the sip of the sacrificial wine and made a face. And I had them all in stitches, even the rabbi, you know? And so, uh, from that moment on, I knew I wanted to be a comedian and to be, you know, funny and to perform for people. And so this, uh, um, venue or this, you know, uh, medium was perfect because I get a different crowd every time. And, and what it did uh, is it taught me, to how to thicken my skin, you know, mm-hmm. because people are going to balk and scoff and now oh, that's a lame joke. And yeah, maybe it is, but I know how to deliver it and I know how to not let you, uh, you know, get to me. And so, um, I'd had some, uh, comedy experience. I started in 1994 in high school, you know, doing talent shows and going in and out of comedy clubs, you know, before I was old enough to actually walk through the front door. Mm-hmm. So I had that, but jungle taught me, how to perform in front of all different audiences and the people that I met, met there, as a matter of fact, uh, one particular named Matthew Moore, um, who we ended up becoming very fast friends and he had experience in, in professional comedy. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for him showing me how to go out and do the open mics, I don't know if I'd be where I'm at today. And it was, it was the combination of the experience on jungle of, of getting the thick skin, meeting the right people, and then taking that confidence that I had on the boat out onto stages in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of a truism that I think that, that people who at the root are comedians can do well at jungle. Uh, but people who do well at jungle can't necessarily do comedy. Uh, there's a lot of people who go in the jungle thinking that they can do comedy and that that's what they're about. And it's, there's a very clear delineation for people who it, it really works for and people who it doesn't. And did you, you know it's what I mean? From, from working people? No, I, I absolutely agree. And it's like the same people that believe that, you know, when they're funny in social settings around their friends, that they can transfer that and bring it onto stage and be a comedian. Mm-hmm. It's two totally different worlds. You know, it's one thing to be funny by bouncing off of other people and, and keeping a conversation going, but to be the one person there to make sure that everybody is listening and then laughing, mm-hmm. that's, a, um, that's a completely different animal to wrestle. And, um, so I, I, I agree with that. You know, a lot of people that were really good at jungle, I wouldn't see them doing stand up comedy, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but boy, they were great at what they did. Oh yeah. No. Well, and I'm, I'm sure there are tons of people that stood out that you, you worked with who were great. Cause I know that era and a lot of people from that era, uh, there were some great, great people, uh, coming into that, even like, you know, 2000, 2001, there were some just amazing, funny people. And at that point, I, I feel because I came in right after that. I think that it was still a little loose with management, and uh, the tightening hadn't quite happened as much as it would, you know, four or five years later. Um, right. Yeah, I, I hear that from a lot of the cast members that have stuck around. That it just changed, and you know, 
I think about it. people ask me all the time, you know, hey, would you ever go back? And I, you know, as much as I think I'd love to, honestly, it was the people. Mm-hmm. You know, Disneyland itself is what a great backdrop for a for a job. I mean, you know, if it was a TV show, you couldn't ask for a better place to to perform and and to be, uh, as, you know, as far as working. But man, it was the people. You know, yeah. it was the, it was Jerry York, and Jeff Wheeler, and Frank Rios, and Jesse Vanda, John Patrick, and you know, Grant uh, Grant Haynes, and and these people that. Um, every day you'd look forward to seeing and, and, you know, then you'd go and hang out afterwards and you had inside jokes and you did things together. And it was, it was so tight. You know, we were about each other's lives and that was the exciting thing about jungle. I, I, I didn't work a lot of other attractions that, that had that kind of camaraderie. Pirates certainly didn't and country bears didn't, you know, but boy, it's all about jungle. Yeah. Oh, country bears. I was there for the last day of performances for country bears as a guest. Uh, oh, I oh that. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I think what you just, uh, said, it kind of sums up what we've said a a number of times and we're, we're over a hundred episodes now. And I, I hear it over and over that, you know, um, the summers that you have at jungle, that's, that's your summers and it's special and it's magical, but you can't go back and, and recapture that flame. Um, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've come back and rehired. I got lucky when I rehired, it was only like a year and a half or so after I left uh, on, on one of my rehires. So it wasn't that big of a stretch. Uh, and I, I wouldn't go back now, but when I'm 60 or retired or whatever it is, 60, 65, you know, look, I'll totally go back because, you know, the old guys can do anything and not get in trouble for it. <laughs> they can hug the cute girls and, you know, your your grandpa on the dock. That makes it a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh you know, during the process, what what are some memories for you while you're working at Jungle that kind of stand out for you? Do you have uh, uh, particular days or a particular story that when you uh, talk to people who you know they're like, "Oh, you worked at the Jungle Cruise." Do you have something that's kind of the stock thing that you uh, you tell people that's one of your your best memories? Oh gosh, you know, um, I used to love to sing on the dock. You know, uh, there was a there was a cast member that worked there, Dwayne Smith. Uh, that we used to love to harmonize and, you know, bring people back in on the dock with, uh, uh, you know, a song or something. Um, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, all the, the famous people that would come on the boat, you know, I was so excited to, to meet so many people, you know, we had, uh, Ricky Lake and Tommy Lasorda and I had, uh, Nicholas Cage on my boat and, and Dana Carvey and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, the cool people that you get to meet. Carvey, I, um, I've talked to a lot of people who've had Carvey on their boats, and he apparently was really supportive. Like, he was actually really into it. A, a lot of celebs, when they come through, just kind of, you know, they pass through. But I've always heard Carvey was really about, you know, giving some good props to, to skippers when they did a good job. And he was a super guy. Plus, he all he was never the kind of uh, guy that wanted to have the boat all to himself. Uh, he would welcome, you know, just all the guests. You know, he'd go in and get in on the on unload, but you know, he'd have them stop and bring on guests so they can all sit and enjoy it together. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, he was really cool. And, um, the one, the one person that threw rocks at it that I, that I had so much trouble performing for was Gina Davis hmm. of all people. Just, you know, just one of, just one of these people that like, you know, nothing, nothing you could say would please her. And she just like, that man was like, Oh, you know, and it's like, uh, look lady, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I felt that way about uh, a few of her movies. So, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, and this I saw was shortly Cat- after Castaway Island. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Where her pirate yeah, movie? This- was it after her pirate movie that she did? 
Yeah, this was shortly after she didn't make the Olympics as an archer uh, uh, in archery, so I think she was a little bitter for that. I remember that. <laughs> uh, I think I, I really think that her her pirate movie that she made was um, one of the most atrocious pieces of, of junk I've ever seen. It was such a bad movie. Yeah. I, I think it was, what was it called, like Abortion on the High Seas or oh, Box yeah. Office Death, something like that. Yeah, there was there was nothing uh, redeem. Look, you know, when you have a movie that that uh, makes you know Johnny Depp uh, running around with a, a bad accent and and uh, hamming it up look good, I mean, it really it was a turkey. So <laughs> I gotta say, uh, you know, you, you talk about moments. It, it's for those people. I guess I don't know what do you call them civilians. Those that never worked the dock and they don't know. Um, it probably wouldn't mean much, but I got to tell you, one of the uh, one of the best things that I ever did on Jungle, and and to this day, I you know I I still kind of strive for that feeling again, is to make Jerry York laugh. Uh, I know I know it's I know it's crazy, but he's one of the funniest people I've ever met personally in my life, and the satisfaction you get from actually getting a genuine laugh out of that guy, and knowing that it was funny. Uh, Boy, it's it's I don't know. It's like making it's like making your dad proud. Yeah. Well, and it, it was tough for me because I actually was a I you know Jerry and I are in the same age bracket, so he's he's used to working with all these you know kids that are are much younger than us, and uh, mm-hmm. I always saw Jerry you know because we had that that equal age thing going on, and uh, yeah, I look when when there was a, a moment where I could pull into the dock and I could I could. Uh, you know, make a quip or, you know, I, I knew that that was a good day for me. I, um, there are a few people that I've been, I, I feel bad every time I say something good about Jerry because I don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, hero worship gushing over some guy. He's just a guy. He's a great guy. He has amazing taste in music. Uh, and, and he just is a, you know, one of the neatest guys I've met, but damn, he just, there's something about someone who is so, uh, kind of has it together with the way that he that he was running the dock back then i know i know it's just too cool i don't know he was he was just uh i don't know yeah i, I don't know how to describe it he was he just he just was he was yeah. the godfather of the jungle you yeah. know yeah and i mean look you know i've got i think i've told every good jerry york story that i've got just like i've told my good frank rio stories three or four times and uh, one thing that I've gotten as feedback is that I tell the same damn stories over and over because you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm talking to someone new who maybe hasn't heard them. So maybe at the end I'll tell you some of the some of the good stuff off the air. But um, no, no, he he look, he's one of the reasons I love coming in. And when I had a situation where Jerry gave me a ra- the radio to run the dock while he was at lunch, I mean, it was just the proudest I could ever be that you know that that's happening. That he picks me up, everyone there to do it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you when you get picked, I remember when I got to go to lunch with him and Wheeler over at the uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the one over off where they you know build the boats and all the backstage area. What the dock? Uh, the dock side or in between? No, not the in between. Because this was over on uh, this was off of gosh, um, way in the back where you know where they build the, the boats and the cars and stuff for the attraction. The one, the one that's back by um, by TDA. Yeah. Yeah, eat ticket. Eat ticket. There you go. Yeah, yeah, the eat ticket. Yeah, I remember it, it felt like that was the place where managers and leads went. And uh, I remember going to lunch with them and how uh, how important you felt, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you were 
um, when you were at Jungle and you were having all the experiences that all of us skippers have, you know, were you seeing it as um, a chance to specifically like hone some of your comedy chops and work on your timing, work on your, you know, was that was it active in your mind that it was part of your uh, direction that you wanted? You know, um, not in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, I wanted to work at Disneyland until I, I retired. I wanted, I wanted that. I was, I wanted to be a lifer. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be my career, and so um, it wasn't until uh, actually my starting into my second year there that I really wanted to go out and pursue stand-up comedy. And Jungle Cruise was a great uh, stepping stone because not, not only, like I mentioned, it gives you the confidence to go out on the stages and do that, but now I've got a built-in audience. You know, mm-hmm. you tell everybody on Jungle you're going to perform at the Ha Ha Cafe on Lancashire, and I've still got pictures of, you know, 100 people showing up, all, mm-hmm. you know, skippers and, and people that, you know, were important to me to, to come out and support. And so, um, you know, it was that kind of camaraderie, that kind of uh, uh, feeling that came out from it that I remember. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, before we, I mean, look, I mean, it's, I think everyone has put it together from, you know, all the little comments we've made that, you know, you've been able to, to go into that direction as a, as a professional comedian. And I definitely want to get into that because I think it's, it's a good thing to explore because there aren't many skips who've gone out there and really taken, uh, that, that, I would say that leap, but I mean, who's really, cause it isn't a leap. It's, it's a hell of a lot of hard work and it's, you know, a lot of, uh, focus and direction. And I, I really want to get into that. Cause I think that's, that's interesting. And you, you and Kip, uh, and there's a few other people I've talked to over the time that have, that have gone on and actually done stand up and have done comedy. Um, what do you think? I mean, was it just, um, was I mean you were saying that the being up in front of people in the thick skin all that what what's what, what's some of the other lessons that you learned specifically as far as delivering a joke or or what works and didn't work that you picked up at jungle a uh, jungle specifically yeah i I know exactly what that is, and it was actually Jerry York that told it to me you can't take it personally, yeah, yeah. You can't take it personally. You're you're a skipper. You're a person in a suit. You're a body, and you've got a name tag. But you are just you're just that body. And hopefully, you'll be a good magical memory for those people that are going home. And one day, when they watch their tapes of you know the, their day at Disneyland, and maybe you're a part of it, that's the great treasure and reward that you get from it. But when they don't like it, when you get that guest complaint, when you get the one you know the guy that says, "Hey, you know, I don't think I don't think you should be doing this because maybe you had a bad day or you just weren't as energetic as you wanted to be," yeah. or, you know, whatever their expectations were that you didn't meet, you can't take it personally. Mm-hmm. And I have taken that to the stage, and I have learned uh, one thing in this business that that compliments and criticisms mean the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Squat. They don't mean anything. That same person that tells you how great you are and how you should be on the Tonight Show is the same person that two minutes from now you ask them, hey, "What's my name?" They have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think if uh, yeah, if anything I pulled from Jungle that helps me in my comedy career today, mm-hmm. it's it's Jerry York telling me, "Hey, don't take it personally." Yeah, you know it's funny because it's kind of uh, you know just as as the podcast has gone on longer and longer, I really try to to talk less and less about me because if anyone's listened, they've heard all my stories. But you know, uh, uh, people have heard that I did a, I did stand up in like ninety one to ninety three, 
and I did a lot in the Northwest, Spokane, Seattle, Portland. And oh, wow. it was interesting because I, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time out there and, um, you know, the thing that I kind of got that was when I went into jungle that I realized it was the same thing on the stage. If in eight or 10 minutes or whatever you had 12, whatever, however minutes you have there, if you can create a relationship in that short of a time period, when you go into a boat, if you can relate to people and you can create that immediate, you know, connection and tell a story and have there be a sense of who you are, that's a great skipper. And it's the same thing with stand up yeah. for me. If I can go out there and God, it's been so effing long. And, uh, when you can, um, when you can create that relationship in a boat, it's the same thing. If you can create a relationship on stage where they know you, you know, it helps everything. If you're just telling jokes, you're just telling jokes. But if you, uh, at the end of the set, if they have a feel for who you are and what your voice is, that's the same connection to me. And that's the thing I loved about doing Jungle for me, coming from having done some comedy. Uh, you, you know what I mean by that? You, you know where I'm going with that? Absolutely. It's it's all about relatability. Yeah. Because yeah. now yeah. I, I was lucky enough, and I'm going to say it, I was lucky enough because uh, you're set at the Skipper Stand Up back in what was it? October. October. God, I guess it was. Yeah. Time time is getting weird for me. Um, mm. But look, man, I I will tell you, it was a great set. Um, I think it's yeah. and no negative to anyone else who's been at Skipper Stand Ups. I've you know I've been to half a dozen. I think it's one of the best sets that's been there, and it was just a solid set all around. And I was really happy to to watch you perform, man. I thought it was great. Uh, oh, thanks. You know, it was just uh, it was a really enjoyable, and I like the fact that I got your voice out of it. You know, when I when I hear you telling jokes, I I get to know who you are, and it was really amazing. I really uh. I really give you props for that. When I at the end of your set, man, I I heard what your voice was, and I thought that was really cool. Thank you. Uh, you know, and you mentioned voice, and for those people that don't know, if you're you know you're not familiar with the comedy world, you know, finding your voice, it's not it's not the you know the physical sound that it makes. It's mm-hmm. it's you know who do you, who do you want to be? What is what is it that you are doing on stage? You know. Uh, there's there's comics out there that want to change hearts and minds. You know, you've got your Bill Mars of the world that, you know, want to you know <clears throat> spread a political agenda, and that's fine. But then then you've got your opposite end, your Brian Regans. You know, that go out there that are unapologetic. Yep. I'm just a comedian. I'm going to make you laugh, and I don't care if it has to do with you know uh, saying a word wrong or mowing down a whole line of, of Fig Newtons. But I'm going to make you laugh, and it's and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I. In the beginning, I tried so hard to to be that comic that you know has a message and changes hearts and minds and you know tries to you know have a statement and that kind of voice. But when I I found I'm happier and the audience has a better time when I'm more of the Brian Regan, you know, where I just you know, hey, I'm your comedian for tonight. You guys ready to laugh? Let's go. Yeah. And uh, God, you know, what a better starting ground than than Disneyland and Jungle Cruise because. Yeah. You're there to have a good time. You're there to make fun. You you make fun every day. What a great job! Yeah. You get to well, go and just be fun. And that's you know that's my argument is if you do that, you are making a difference and you're changing lives. I, I've always thought that you know when you go out with the purpose of doing it and it's on top, that it's a lot harder than if you do it kind of subtly. You know you can change minds. You can you can drive your agenda home, but it's much better when it's not like. A, you know, a giant stop sign across your forehead. I mean, it, you know, it can't be that blatant to really be effective. 
Right, right. Yeah, if you're leading by example versus trying to convince people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So now what do you think your – I guess we'll kind of get into your – Obviously, if there's any area where you want to keep the mystique, feel free to tell me to shut the hell up. But, I mean, what is it that's your um, philosophy of comedy or the way that you want to come across? I mean, what what do you think it's your – what do you think your voice is? I mean, how would you describe your comedy to someone who hasn't heard you yet? I would I would describe my comedy as observational and relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's no pretensions here. There's no ego. I'm I'm not trying to talk over your head or or you know be the hipster that is bringing you um, ideas that maybe you know, or things you've never heard of. I'm I'm a I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm I'm an idiot. You know, and so I make mistakes and I bring those up. I I just wanna I don't know I, I just I think that we take ourselves so seriously in this world. And if, if people like myself, the comedians, can hold up a mirror and just say, hey, look at this stupid stuff we do, you know, let's point it out and, and laugh at it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very cathartic. I think it's healthy. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love my job. I just absolutely love what I do for a living. And, so now you said, I mean, we, we said, you know, when you got into the jungle and you knew you were in front of the boat and it clicked, right? You knew that was where you were supposed to be, right? Yeah. When, when was that moment when you were doing stand-up? When was the moment doing stand-up that, that you said to yourself, you know what? Not only do I want to do this, but it's, I know I can do this. Like, when was that moment for you that it clicked? Hmm. Uh, it would have to be Uncle Clyde's comedy contest, where the uh, the first prize was uh, fifty bucks and a guest spot at the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and runner-up got a side of fries. Mm-hmm. How, how were your fries? Oh, sorry, <laughs> my fries were hot, delicious, and salty, <laughs> with with a uh, with a side of humility for dipping sauce. Yeah, and. I I uh, I had my whole jungle crew out there, and and I went to the finals, and I tried a whole new set, and I completely crapped the bed. You know, it's all new material. Never tried it before. Don't know if it works. And even the people that I brought couldn't, in all good honesty, vote for me to win, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and even though it was as painful as it was and, and, uh, you know, not winning and seeing all those people that were to, that were to support me and vote for me that, that didn't because they were being truthful and honest. That's what woke me up. And I said, you know what, if you're going to do this, now's the time to do it because now they're not pandering to you. Now you're not just a kid. They're, they're, you know, fostering, even though you suck. Uh, if you want to do this, go get good at it. And I got good at it. I got better at it. You know, I mean, I feel like, you know, people that go out there and want to call themselves comedians after going on an open mic, you know, it's a little bit impetuous and, and a little ambitious. Yeah. You know, um, you gotta you gotta really crap the bench for a few years and then you need to be able to go into any room and be able to, to just kill. And then from there you gotta learn the business side of it. And so yeah. it took me about ten years to get funny and another five to seven to learn how to make money at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I think that's the real um injustice that a show like last comic standing does because look there's some great comedians on there and it's the same thing with like american idol american idol does this whole thing where it's like we're discovering someone who you know is 
fresh. And the people who win are people who have years of vocal training and, you know, who've already <laughs> been out there grinding, but they make it seem like, you know, they can pick anyone out of a backyard like they were a cherry tree and teach them how to sing. You know, the people who come up, and I huge respect for it. This last season of Last Comic Standing was one of the best. Um, but it definitely, there's this illusion that these people who get up there, they've been already out there for 8, 10, 12 years. I mean, you know, maybe you'll get a young kid out there that they put on the show who's, you know, doing well at 21 or 22. But most of those comics are people who've, who've been dying on the road for a long time. Um, yeah, and, and you know, coming from somebody that's done reality television, uh, you know, I, I'm here to tell you, and, I, and I'm sorry for the wake-up call, kids, but there's no such thing as reality television. Yep. There's no such thing as, you know, Last Comic Standing or American Idol. These people, these producers are trying to cast a TV show, mm-hmm. and that's all they're trying to do. They're not looking for the next great successful comic. They're not looking for the, the best talent out there. They want to get a good, nice, diverse group of people they can put in a house together or get conflict from and build uh, ratings and get, get people to buy T-shirts. Yeah. And that's what it's for. And I don't fault them for it. That's the business side yeah, of absolutely. show business. And I think that's wonderful, and they found a nice niche. I, however, um, am interested in feeding my kids and paying a mortgage. And so I don't, I'm not interested in, in standing in line for days to go audition for 10 seconds for somebody for NBC for last comic standing anymore. It's just not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is getting my name out there, booking my own stuff and trying to build myself uh, a name in the, in the comedy world. And it's working. Uh, for example, this, uh, on Friday night, I start my weekend at Harvey's comedy club in Portland, which you know, has been around since the eighties. And mm-hmm. it's a premier comedy club. Glenn and I'm Harvey's- so excited because, yeah, they called me to headline it, you know, and I'm nobody, and I'm headlining Harvey's Comedy Club, and mm-hmm. I headlined Reno Tahoe, and I headlined Vegas, and, you know, these these things are part of the journey. That's the exciting part for me, and so yeah. um, I, well, yeah, and, and, I, you know, I like to see what's on the horizon. Oh, believe me, and my time that I, I mean, my little time, I, I definitely am not, you know, anywhere in the same category. I, I putzed around with for a while, but... Uh, it was during the comedy boom, during you know where there was a brick wall on TV every every thirty minutes, yep. uh, and with Comedy Central was just getting started. But I mean, it was literally there was a stand up show on cable. You just had to flip, and you would find it. And mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of the everyone and their dog was you know was out there thinking that they were the next Seinfeld or the next Tim Allen or whatever it was. And um, you know, it's a very different atmosphere now because i actually think that it's much better comedy now uh i think so too you know it, it, it is better comedy now you know and it, we're, we're more aware of the hacks and more aware of the people that aren't trying hard you know yeah. you, you 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 can't be the fat jew for very long in this comedy world anymore before you get you get rooted out you know which it's, is happening it's much smarter i mean it's there's a it's a much smarter comedy field um so I mean, the people who's out, who are out there. I mean, who, who do you look at, and you just uh, are blown away by? Who are the comedians who are really, like, you look at them and you just go, "Man, that guy's nailing it." Um, you know, I mean, on the well-known scene, of course, there's Louis C.K. I mean, this guy's just smart. He takes, he he, he talks about things that you you'd think you'd know, and you you'd find out you'd see it on your own, but you don't. And the angles that he takes on it, uh, he's just absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be difficult to be that right all the time. 
Uh, I mentioned him before, but you know, my, the absolute epitome of, of who is funny to me and, and why I started and wanted to do this specifically, Brian Regan, mm-hmm. you know, uh, unapologetic comedian, just gets up and does his thing and, and goes home and, you know, not to mention he's, you know, he can work any room cause he's clean as a whistle and that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then there's just the hardworking, uh, comics out there that are, you know, busting their butts, you know, that maybe people haven't heard of, but are selling out rooms, you know, DJ Cooch and my buddy Bruce Jingles and Ace, Ace Ian, um, you know, even people like Kip Hart who work the main stage at the, at the comedy store. Yeah. You know, these are, uh, uh, these are amazing people that are really, really funny and it's just a big, big world. And we got to get our name out there to these people. There's, yeah. there's so many great comics and so many, so many terrible ones. That, you know, you gotta, you gotta shift through, you gotta shift through and find, find the nuggets. And I think my job, um, if I want to be one of those is to go and find my audience and let them know that I'm out there and ready to perform for them. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you ever want to know where I'm at, you can just look up my name and just go to alexelkin.com and it'll, uh, you can find out all about me. You can find out where I'm going to be. Um, and uh, keep in contact. But. Well, and I know there's a lot of listeners. We have a lot of listeners in the Northwest, um, you know, Portland, Seattle, Spokane, um, you know, and up and down the coast. I mean, we have listeners everywhere, but that particularly there, um, you know, who I really would just encourage to have them go out and, 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 uh, and take a look at you. And, and, you know, you've got some stuff up on YouTube though, right? As well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely catch your yeah, stuff just- on YouTube. Yeah, you can you can Google me. I'm actually um, I've got a little presence on on the Google. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you think about? I mean, just to to general comedy chat, and it's only you know, sh- that's well, the other side of the podcast arena is that you know I think also comedy has been dissected and analyzed in a million ways, but not on this podcast yet. So let's let's slice it open <laughs> a little bit. Let's um, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. What What do you think about the role Twitter has played in stand up comedy? The role Twitter has played in stand-up comedy. Well, you know, it, it's done what social media and uh, cell phones and, um, uh, you know, this, this modern age has done to everything. It's shortened it down to a little soundbite. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, for comedy, I kind of appreciate it because it forces you to get to the funny. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 sometimes I'd rather chew glass and go out and watch an open mic because... I've been there so many times and I don't want to see it. And you have comics up there that don't get a laugh for 10 minutes. And then finally they throw a punchline out and it's a little bit of chuckle and they go, well, I'm long form and I killed. Well, you know, I'm my philosophy as a comic and you can take it or leave it. I shoot for a laugh every four to 10 seconds when Mm -hmm. I'm on stage. I want to, I want to get some sort of response from them every four to 10 seconds. That way I know I have their attention. Mm -hmm. And with Twitter, and, you know, Facebook, uh, for that matter. But Twitter mostly, and I, I think you mentioned that specifically because you have to keep it concise. Mm-hmm. That's what I appreciate about it. It keeps it concise, and uh, it really tests you. Are you funny or are you not? Yeah. It's really funny that having done, you know, I, I don't look at Twitter for me as, you know, I will occasionally throw out something interesting and funny. But, you know, for the podcast feed, it's more you know, some jungle stuff and put up pictures and all that. But the thing I've learned in trying to put jokes up there is I can tell when someone's writing a joke that is longer than it, than it uh, has the space for, because they take the, the word and, and they make it an ampersand and you can see where they cut the commas out and there's no periods. (laughs) So you know that it's like, ah, that joke would have been great in 156 characters, but, uh, or even 141, but at 140, it's, uh, you got to squeeze it in there somehow. Yeah, 
So yeah, we'll I feel like uh, you know Twitter. Twitter in particular for me is all the things that I'm afraid to say on Facebook. I put on Twitter because I can be really mean there for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's how, like how, how's your response been off Twitter? Man, do do people respond well to you? Is it a medium that you feel like works for the for the way that you're putting yourself out there? Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a good tool. I enjoy Instagram and Twitter and Facebook mostly for for what I do. Um, it it, it I do have a good response and a decent following, um, but uh, um, I would have to say, if you know, my biggest presence in social media would have to be Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do Do you have you know, and also kind of just shifting. Do you have any any specific jokes that are kind of in your rotation on stage that you look at and you go, "That's a joke that came out of." of jungle cruise. Like, do you look at, you have any jokes? You just go look that ancestry the nugget, the gem of that joke came from jungle cruise. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's several of them. I can think of one right now. Uh, it was, it was Halloween night. I was working, uh, jungle, uh, with Tom McHugh and, uh, gosh, I, he was, he was the bass player for a band called code. Um, anyway, uh, and out of the blue, I, uh, you know, I was so poor when I was working there, you know, I was just a kid living out on my own in my own apartment and, and I was so broke and I came up with the joke where, you know, well, this year I don't have any money to buy the kids candy. I'll just start handing out Taco Bell hot sauce packets. Mm-hmm. And I remember them just exploding on the dock on how funny that was. And I ended up using it on stage. And to this day, mm-hmm. every October, you're going to hear that joke in my set yeah, because <laughs> it's close enough to Halloween. So yeah, there are jokes that, um, uh, you know the. Uh, um, I even heard. I've even heard other people use this joke, but I remember it as a joke on Jungle that we did, and and uh, you know I've taken it on stage and been accused of being a hack for it, but I remember it when it was ours. It was our Jungle joke. The uh, um, I, I don't know if you have time for it, but I, I ended. Uh, it, it's real simple. I, I ended up rear-ending this car, and out of the car popped this this little dwarf, you know, and he, he comes over and he's looking at me in the, in the window and he looks at me and says, sir, I'm not happy. You know, and I go, all right, well, which one are you? You know, and, uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these jokes that, that, you know, you just say them as you're waiting for Trader Sam to change the lights back to two green so yeah. you could move up, you know? So, um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of, there's so, so many that were, that were spawned and built there, you know, yeah. grown there. So when you're when you're either hanging out, you know, before or after, you know, hanging out at the bar at a show and someone, you know, learns that you kind of got a start, maybe not your entire start, but, you know, that your formative years were spent in the jungle. What's the reaction of other comics? Because, you know, I know that when I'm just chatting with people and if I bring up that I worked at the Jungle Cruise, there's this instant, you know, level of of awe from the, the normal humans. Uh, what about in the mm-hmm. comedy world? What's what's the reaction from people when uh, when they learn about your pedigree? Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, with comics, <laughs> there's there's one of two things: they they either want to be you or or uh, <laughs> they want to be away from you. You know, mm-hmm. and in, in comedy, everybody will tell you you're funny until you're funny. And so I've gotten to the point now where I have to. I have to engage other comedians. I have to ask them about their life if I'm going to get into any kind of conversation with them because at least where I'm living now, uh, people know enough about me to where they pretty much, uh, through no fault of my own, they, they consider me some sort of diva, I guess, or some some kind of 
upper echelon to where I can't be, you know, talked to. So I guess as far as telling other comics where I, I came from, you know, as, uh, you know, working on Jungle, I don't know if the comics are impressed. It's the civilians, you know, it's the, it's the people that, you know, read my bio and they go, oh my God, they worked at Disneyland. And of course, the first question, can you sign me in? And, <laughs> and then after we, we go through, we go through that. Uh, you know, we, we go and we talk about stories, of, you know, what it was like on Jungle and stuff. So I think it's more of the audience, the people that are outside of the show business world that still consider it kind of a mystery. Um, but that magic of, of Disney and, you know, and, and uh, Jungle and all that is still alive and well. Mm-hmm. And I love that. You know? yeah. I think I, I've talk, talked about it before, but I haven't run it into the ground. But uh, there, there was a, a time where... Uh, I was doing a, a game show just for, for shits and giggles. I had had someone who came and talked to me, and I did a, a game show on uh, Game Show Network. And it's like five years ago now. And uh, so I'm sitting backstage, and there's some, you know, some minor celebrities and people who've been, you know, doing the the, the uh, sitcom routine. And uh, I, I commented, you know, that I had worked on the Jungle Cruise. And by the time the show aired, uh, it was Carlton from Fresh Prince. Um, I don't know why oh, I can't yeah. think of his name. Um, Alfonso, Alfonso, Alfonso Ribeiro. Alfonso Ribeiro. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's doing America's Funniest Videos now. Yeah, so it's funny. So it's like, yeah. you know, we, we get on the set, and the very first question he asked me on camera, which was not vetted, which the producers had not talked to me about, was about my time working on the Jungle Cruise. And so yeah. it's, it's really funny that, I you know, I've gotten this reaction from, from, from people, or, you know, we'll get – comedians or stuff coming on the boats who uh who gush about you know the jungle cruise it's it's funny how it's it's got some kind of a cachet that's really special well it's something that you know if kind of if you saw it as a child you can't help but it, it finds a place in your heart you know disneyland for me no matter what happens to it it's always going to feel like home yeah it'll always you know i i know where every bathroom is i know where every drinking fountain is i have memories of walking these steps and i I remember you know when the buckets would would be overhead and i you know you have you have these memories of it and you can't escape it and that's the great thing about this park it's you know, it's in one place, but so many millions of people have come to it and made it a part of their lives and their hearts that when you go out into the world and you could be in Timbuktu, Istanbul, or, or the, you know, the cold fields of Siberia, and you mention, you know, jungle, and their their eyes would light up because, yeah, I shared that too. I was there. I've yeah. seen it. Well, I don't think that dad jokes would be what they were if it wasn't for the Jungle Cruise. I think so many of so many quote unquote dad jokes. You and I both know what that means, but I mean it's you know it's the stupid puns or the little bit of wordplay that are just oh yeah stinkers. I mean in in all reality they're stinkers. Let's be honest. But you know dads love to oh, pull sure. them out to their kids. They're eight or nine year olds because it's on a level they can understand. And when kids get to be thirteen or fourteen, it's a totally different reaction to that same joke. But it's it's the kind of you know I think every uh, my dad was in Boy Scouts and like all of his friends had one or two jokes that they probably told at least two or three times a month, and it was always those dad jokes you know the kind of yeah. things that we that we threw in as the little slip in jokes at Jungle but that's the kind of thing people latched onto, um, you know I did the last episodes uh, that I put up uh, before this one came up was with a guy named Joel Halberstadt, and Joel was at Jungle in '68. And then he was at uh, Imagineering left in like 76. And Joel wrote 
most of the script that's being used even today, like probably two thirds of the script was stuff that was mm. written back in that late sixties that between those jokes and the ones that Joel wrote, that script was basically the same with very few exceptions uh, all the way through from, you know, 75 or 74 when he wrote it all the way through to today. And it's crazy that, you know, 40 ish years later, you know, most of those jokes are still the same. At the root of it, there's a few that don't work because of you know political correctness or stereotyping or whatever it is, mother-in-law jokes that you know that aren't funny today. But those those jokes are the same as they were 40 years ago. And what other thing can you say has stayed the same for 40 years in comedy? <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, so what I you know, just to wrap it up, I think this is going to be a good, good, solid single episode for me. Um, you know, do you? When you look back, is there a single joke from Jungle that you think that's that's my favorite joke? Do you have something that you know back? Because here's the thing: the thing I don't like to do with when I talk to people, especially people who are in comedy, I don't want to know what they're doing now because I want someone to go on stage, you know, to pay for a ticket and experience you and have a good time. Your jokes are for that set, but for going back in time, what's what's the joke that you just think of and you think, damn, that's that's the best joke from when I was uh, when I was working back at, at Disney. Uh, you know, there's a couple of them. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is you know, I was there when it was uh, starting to become politically incorrect to point the fake guns at the fake hippos, mm-hmm. and so it was uh, it was important that we you know point the uh, point the guns into the tree and fire. And I always had kind of a dry wit, you know, because of of the people I emulated on Jungle, and of course, you know that line about you know huh, got those two in the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that's. It's a great, it's a great line. Um, I remember the first time I heard uh, my buddy Grant do his boat, and he introduced me to the uh, end up ahead. We have the giant uh, anaconda sitting in a tree, H I S S I N G. And now I, you know, when I when I go there, I hear that joke all the time, and it's like, you know, I, I know I was one of the first. I know I was one of the first to hear that, and maybe one of the first to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's really, uh, but uh, it's it's really funny because I've you know obviously now I've I've interviewed people all the way back to fifty five. It's so funny how I've heard people say not necessarily this joke, but they'll be like, yeah, I mean, I remember that joke, and you know, my group was the first one to use it, and that's someone who, from like the nineties. Then I'll talk to someone from the seventies who says the exact same thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> some of these I mean, jokes, every okay, generation rediscovers them. It's kind of funny. It's true. It's true, and those jokes are probably stock. You know, it was. It's the ones that are not SOP that, of course, you know, I know I created. Like, yeah. um, there's no way that anybody else could have done this joke. When people are coming in to load, and you have to get them to slide all the way up to the front. You know, nobody else is using lines from Goo Goo Dolls songs because that was hip and, you know, <laughs> timely. I, I said, you know, I'd be getting on the boat and I'd be like, I want to wake up where you are. I won't say anything at all. So why don't you slide and have everybody slide forward? And I remember Debbie French giving me a look and just peeing her pants, laughing so hard because it was timely. It was appropriate. It was, you know, it was now and fresh. And boy, it just made the hours go by so much faster. Yeah. And uh, but I guess if there was one joke that I had to say, I pulled from Jungle. It's not in the script, uh, but it is one that I heard Jerry York tell many, many times, and I, I tell it to this day because working as a professional comedian and working at Disneyland have a lot of similarities. You're going to get uh, a single question from everybody when you work at either place. If you're working at Disneyland, the first question is, "Hey, can you sign me in?" 
as a comedian, the first question is, hey, can you tell me a joke? Mm-hmm. And uh, my go-to to this day is the polar bear joke, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard it, and your listeners have probably heard it, but I will regale you with it because it's my favorite, and I love telling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know how to catch a polar bear, it's very simple, actually. Polar bears have been known to love to eat frozen peas. So you go out into the tundra where polar bears live, you cut a giant hole into the ice as big as a polar bear, and you take your frozen peas and you place them around the hole. So when the bear comes up to take a pee, you kick him in the ice hole. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we could telegraph a better ending to this, much as I would love to uh, hear about some of your experiences on the road and doing stand-up. I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, go on after that mic drop, right? <laughs> no, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> hey, Alex, you know, I'll be here all week. <laughs> you know, it would be easy. I mean, look, I would, if it were me, I would, you know, spend another half an hour and we'd dig all the, the dirt and all the fun stuff out of, uh, out of your time on the road and all that. But maybe we'll do that at some point down the road. But I think this is a good, uh, good place to wrap this around for right now. We'll call this the origin story, and maybe we'll uh, dig back into it down the road at some point and hear some more about your time on the road. Well, I got to tell you, there's there's not much more I like talking about than uh, than my time at Jungle and Disneyland because it's yeah. uh, it's just one of those things in my heart that, that warms me up. So, hey, thanks for bringing back some old memories, man. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, oddly enough for me, I've spent the last five years doing nothing but talking about my time at Disneyland. Uh, luckily, I've been <laughs> able to turn it into something people will occasionally want to listen and share with their friends. So, hey, speaking of sharing things with your friends, let's go over your social media info again so uh, people know where to find you and uh, all your good info about where to uh, – where to hear your jokes. Yeah, the, well, the big, I guess the hub, if you want to meet at the hub, it's alexelkin.com. E-L-K-I-N.com. And that can lead you to my my Twitter, my uh, Facebook, and my Instagram. Um, and then, of course, upcoming dates. I'm all over the country, planning on getting back down to Florida here in February, so it's going to be a, a big uh, Careers on Fire cross-country tour again. And, and I might be making it to a city near you, so keep... Uh, keep me in mind and, and keep looking at uh, where I'm going to be because I love to perform. Great, great. And uh, I'm looking forward. Next time you're down here in the Southern California area, I will be uh, I will be in the front row, my friend. You're great, and I'm really uh, super glad we were able to find the time. And I also have to say, look, this is the night before Thanksgiving. It's not when this is going to go up, but just so people know, you're taking time away from your, your brand-new, uh, beautiful baby girl to spend an hour with me, which is why I'm not going to stretch this into any more time. But uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to chat with me, Alex. Hey, man, thanks for thinking of me and, uh, move it up, Skip. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Thanks. Uh, Kungaloosh, everyone. We'll catch you guys soon and, uh, we'll see you out in the river.